0: Um, but if you have your Bibles, uh, grab them, get them out, um, and turn to the book of John, chapter 4. We will get there in a few minutes. We have been in a series for some time now, since before Easter, and we've had other guest speakers and different things in here, but we've been staying with it. Um, this, the title of this series is called Made Two." We have been highlighting things that you and I have been made to do or made for. Um, how many know that when when an uh, an engineer designs something, they design it for a specific purpose. How many know there's a big difference between a the design and the engineering of a dump truck versus like a Lamborghini, right? Quite different functions. You wouldn't want to you wouldn't want to cross um, the the roles of those two vehicles. Um, same thing with you and I. There is a specific Design and a specific purpose for things we're called to do and not to do, things to be and what not to be. Okay, um, I have a video to illustrate this point. Of there are certain uh, things that are designed for a certain purpose. So go ahead and roll that video.
1: This is from my boy Ben Gregers out of the UK. I put a link to his channel below this one. This is a notorious river crossing that maroons more vehicles than any other in the UK. More than a hundred rescues there in just five years apparently people living in nearby houses say they have lost count of how many vehicles have got stuck there one local resident who lives just around the corner from the ford has plenty of stranded strangers knocking at their door asking for help most are just people who are just too impatient to drive around an alternate route they say quote we've had knocks on the door for help when it's flooded there's always someone being rescued and when other cars get stuck People try and go through. It's a common sense thing, really. People should have more sense. These cars are not amphibious. End quote. Check out this Mercedes as it attempts and successfully goes through, well, halfway through. Oh, lights go out. He's thinking.
0: Idea, right? Why? Because some of those vehicles were designed to be able to go through that situation. Others, very much not so. Um, When I was 18 years old, I used to have a 1992 Jeep Wrangler, which was a fun vehicle. Um, And I was four-wheeling up in Jamestown, and there's a river crossing there that you have to four-wheel through. And it was like springtime, so the the river was actually flowing pretty good. And so I drive into the river, and I had the doors off of my Jeep, and um, I I sucked water into the engine. So it stalls out right in the middle of this river. And it, there was actually water flowing in one side of the vehicle because the doors were off, up and over the console in and then out the other side. I had stuff like floating in the back. I was like, this is not good. Um, it turns out that the Jeep Wranglers at that time, there's a little defect, not a defect, I would say a design flaw. And that is this, the air intake for those vehicles is under the headlight um, of the vehicle. That's a terrible place for an air intake for a vehicle that should be able to drive through some water because um, it, it didn't have to go very far to pull water into the engine. Um, the later models, they put that air intake up under the hood, which is a much better place um, if you don't want to get stuck in the water. So I had to have someone pull me out, and then it took quite a while to get it aired out, to get it started back up. Um, but you and I have been designed for a specific purpose. And let me do a quick recap of this series, we've um, this is part six today, but part one was called "Made to Receive God's Love." We are made; you are made to receive His love. Part of your design, God has designed you to receive the love of God. Part two is called "Made to Run," where there's a run, uh, there's a race marked out for each of us. We're supposed to run that race with perseverance. Part three is called "Made to Be Confident." In God's love, God wants confident kids. We're not supposed to be insecure walking around not knowing who we are. God wants confident children, and we're called to that. Part four is called "Made to Worship." Part of your design, part of the the unique way God has designed you, is to be a worshipper. If you're not a worshipper, I want to tell you there is something that He has created you for. It is to worship. Part five is called "Made to Be Known." You were made to have a relationship with the Living God. He created you for this. The title of today's message is called Made to Walk in God's Will. Okay, you were made to walk in God's will. Here's a fact I want to tell you. God has a plan, purpose, and destiny for each and every person. I don't care if you were conceived within the confines of a loving, connected, prosperous marriage and brought up in that. Or if you were conceived during a one-night stand, and you don't even know who your father is. It doesn't matter. God has a plan, purpose, and destiny for each and every person. I don't recommend the latter. It's not like the best way, but it doesn't matter. God has a plan, purpose, and destiny for every person in this world. Um, This is crucial that we know this. In fact, I believe, and you can read this and you can see this um, uh, play out in Scripture, that many times... It is those who seem to be least qualified that God uses the most. I can certainly testify of this. I don't feel like the most qualified person to be doing what I'm doing. I feel God oftentimes uses the people who seem like the least likely candidates. Let me, let me show you this uh, from Scripture. First Corinthians uh, 1, 27 and 28 says this. God chose uh, things... God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt foolish, powerless, despised, or regarded as insignificant? I certainly have in my life. And if that's you, great. You're a prime candidate for God to use you. Why does he do this? I think he does this. He uses people who are least likely candidates because he gets all the glory. We can't take credit for it when he uses least likely candidates. Now, today we're talking about the will of God. You're made to walk in his will. Um, I want to give you one one key to finding God's will for your life. Finding God's will. A lot of people stress over this. Like, what's, what's God's will for my life? How can I find it? You know, who am I supposed to marry? There's 7 billion people in the world. Okay, half of them are male or female. So 3.5 billion people that I could potentially marry. Like, these, these decisions overwhelm us, right? Um, listen, God can and will lead you. But let me give you one key. One key to finding God's will for your life. If you're faithful in the micro will of God, You will find yourself being faithful and walking in the macro will of God. I'll say it like this if you are faithful in the small things that you know that He's called you to do, how would you know that? By reading this. If you're faithful in those small things, you will find yourself walking in bigger things and being faithful in bigger things. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 10, I'm sorry, 16, verse 10. It says this. He said this, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Okay? Um, I don't necessarily want more responsibilities, but I do want to be faithful in responsibilities I do have. I have enough responsibilities. But how many want to be used by God? I certainly do. Be faithful in the little things. This is certainly true. Uh, in my, my wife and I's life. This is certainly true of us. Um, there, I can't look at any one amazing thing that like, brought us to where we are today. All I can say is Emily and I have tried, and not always perfect, of course, but we've tried to just be faithful to the Lord and the little things, the day-to-day decisions, and those little decisions have led to God leading us into bigger and bigger things. Okay, um, let me give you, from Scripture, I want to give you two examples Of God's will for your life. How many want to know God's will for your life? Let me give you two examples, because some of them are explicit in Scripture. All right. First Thessalonians chapter five, verses sixteen through eighteen. It says this. You want to know God's will for you? Ready? Here you go. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There you go. That's God's will for you. You don't know what God's will for you is? I, I just showed you something. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Can you, let me ask you a question. Can you be trusted in these small matters? These are small matters that if we're faithful in them are good examples of how God will lead us into bigger examples. Um, or are you complaining, prayerless, and entitled? Okay, that's the opposite. If you're complaining all the time, you live a prayerless lifestyle, and you feel entitled. That's that's you're not walking faithful in the small things. Okay, these are small things that the Word has told us to do. <clears throat> Let me give you one more example. First um, Thessalonians chapter four verses three through five says this: "It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Sanctified. Um, what is sanctified? It really just means holy, set apart." Or just different, different than the world. Listen, Christians, we should be different than the world around us. Okay, so many times, I think the church has lost influence many times. And we think, oh, we got to be so relevant to the world and try to kind of be like the world so that we can be relevant to the world. Listen, no, (laughs) church, we're supposed to be different than the world. I'm not saying weird. Like, we don't have to be weirdos. But we're also, we are supposed to do things differently than the world. It's all good. All right. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that your life should look differently than the people who don't call themselves Christians. Uh, In what way? Here's an example. That you should avoid sexual immorality. Um, The word sexual immorality is kind of a catch-all phrase there for uh, many types of sexual sin. But God doesn't want us in sexual sin. We should be different. Uh, Verse 4. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Okay? Notice that when you come to Jesus, you don't, it's not like automatically I know how to control myself and control my body. Um, he says, learn to control your own body. This is a process that we're all in. Okay? This is God's will for you. Verse 5, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Okay? The pagans at that time, there was rampant um, sexual immorality in that culture. Look, thankfully, there's none of that today, you know. <laughs> We've come so far, and now there's no rampant sexual immorality, you know. No, obviously, this definitely applies to us today. But we should be different than the rest of the world, and particularly in this case, this is Christians' sexuality, the way we be, conduct ourselves and behave, should be different than the rest of the world. What does that look like? I'll give you one example. It is not God's will that you be shacking up with people that you're not married to, Okay? so quiet right now. Awkward. Okay, I'm just saying, it's not God's will. Now, if that's you, no condemnation. I'm just saying I'm calling you higher. And um, I'm a good pastor, and good pastors tell you the truth, all right? Don't be shacking up with people you're not married to. Okay, it's not God's will for you. It's not his best for you. This is part of his will, okay? Um, Be faithful in the little things. You'll find yourself in the bigger things. Um, it's not God's will that you be bound to pornography. God doesn't want his children, he doesn't want me bound to lust and pornography or to be bound to any type of sexual sin. He wants you free of those things, okay? All right? He wants you set apart, okay? But if we're faithful in the things we know, the things that are written, the things that are obvious, God will lead us into greater things and greater opportunities to be faithful in, You will, listen, I'm telling each and every one of you, he has amazing plans for your life. Amazing plans. But first, we have to be faithful in the small things, and he will lead us into greater things. I could give you dozens of examples of the micro will of God for your life. And if you're faithful in those things, he will lead you into bigger things. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 kind of says this in a good way. It says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Listen. We Americans, we like our own understanding, don't we? We like our tweets. We like our opinions. We like our freedom of speech, which is amazing, by the way. We should have freedom of speech. But don't depend on your own understanding. Depend on the Lord's understanding. Um, seek his will in all you do, and he, um, and he will show you which path to take. When we seek the Lord in all that we do, he directs our steps. He directs our paths. What an amazing promise, So it's like, who am I supposed to marry? What career am I supposed to have? Listen, seek him in all you do. He'll direct you. He will direct your paths if you just seek him. It's so amazing. Um, This was a a big problem with the millennial generation. I'm kind of like not considered a millennial. I'm like just a little bit older than the millennial generation, Um, which, by the way, stop calling millennials 20-year-olds. They're not 20-year-olds anymore. Millennials are in their 30s now, okay? But one of the problems with... The millennial generation was they, um, they had a lack of commitment, like finding a career path. They were paralyzed by options. There were so many options in the world. And it was like they had been told you're, you matter, you're significant, your life can make a difference. And that's a great thing to tell people, that, hey, you can change the world. How many think that's a good thing to tell people? Well, what, what happened in that is they're like, well, how in what way can I change the world? And then you realize to really be good at something, you have to commit to a direction. You know, you can't be good at 50 things. You're probably only going to be really good at one thing. And you have to pick a direction to be good at. That's a word for someone out there today. Okay, I've, I've picked my lane here. And I've tried to be good at this. Um, you have to pick a direction. Um, but uh, God will lead you. If you acknowledge him in the small ways, he'll lead you in big ways. All right? Um, <clears throat> but God has a will for you. He has a plan for you. And you were made to walk in it. I could give you dozens of more examples of this from scripture, but um, I'm so excited about this. Okay, now I want to show you how amazing, how fulfilling, and how gratifying it is to find your lane. Find the area that God has called you to walk in. I'm going to read a pretty big portion of scripture from John. Did you guys find John yet? John chapter 4. I gave you ample time. Okay, John chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 1 through 34, and I'm going to give a little commentary um, in the middle. It says this, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back uh, once more to Galilee. So he's going from Judea in the south. He's heading north to Galilee. Verse 4. He had to go through Samaria. Actually, verse 4, he didn't technically have to go through Samaria. It was definitely the most direct path. But in that day, a lot of the Jews so wanted to avoid Samaritans that they would literally go around Samaria. In other words, they'd go all the way down by the the Jordan River, go up the Jordan River Valley to get to Galilee, when, when there was much more of a direct pathway to get to um, the region of Galilee by going through Samaria. But Jesus didn't avoid it. Okay, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his sons Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus... Tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Notice that Jesus was tired. Okay, Jesus had a physical and has a physical body. And that physical body was subject to the same things that you and I, our bodies are subject to. To fatigue. Everyone say, Jesus was tired. Okay. The other thing it says here, it was about noon. That will become important in just a minute. Verse 7 When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Okay, Uh, In that time, uh, again, the Samaritans are outcasts. They're people that, that the Jews did not associate with. Um, in 586 BC, the, the, the Jewish people uh, were exiled from their homeland. Most of the Jews were exiled to other lands. And at that time, the, I believe it was Nebuchadnezzar, sent other peoples into the land to mix with the population that was there. And what happened, they created another race within the, the nation... They did this in a way to kind of dilute the purity of the, the nation that was there in order to help keep control of that region. This is what happened. Well, after the Jews returned to Israel, um, after the exile, these new population of Samaritans are there. And these Samaritans are essentially, they would say, they're like half-breeds. So they're not like, you know, full-blooded full, uh, Jews. These Samaritans are identifying with the land. They're saying, we're Jews. Our father, our father is Jacob, you know. And when the Jews came back to Jerusalem, they're like, they're rebuilding the temple. And they came up and said, hey, we're here. We want to help rebuild the temple and we want to worship with you. And the Jews at that time had said to them, no, you're a bunch of half-breeds. Get out of here. You're not one of us. So they, were, they became exiled. And to, the, to that point, um, here in the scripture, there's this difference between these two peoples that didn't associate with one another. Verse 10, okay. Uh, verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Verse 11, Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can I get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the, the well and drank from it himself, and did also his sons and livestock? The answer to his question is, or her question is, yes, he is greater than their father, Jacob. Verse 13, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water willing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I want to point out two things about this woman and and the situation. Number one, it's noon. uh, And at that time, people don't draw water at noon. Why? It's very hot. People draw water in the morning. So there's a reason why this woman is coming alone. That's the other thing that's important. She's alone at noon by herself. Why is she drawing water in the heat of the day when all the other women come in the morning to draw water? Here's why. She has a life of shame. She... Not only is she a Samaritan who was an outcast from the Jewish people, she's an outcast even from her own people, from the Samaritans. So she, because of shame, comes by herself, draws water in the heat of the day to avoid um, these shameful interactions. And Jesus is about to get to the heart of the matter of this woman and to minister to her. He says this, verse 16. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus told her, "You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have, um, what you have said, is quite true." Sir, the woman said, "I can see that you are a prophet." So Jesus just read straight up read her mail. Right? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Okay, I just explained why. They worship separately. The Samaritans worship because they weren't allowed to worship in Jerusalem. They created their own system. Um, and by the way, thank God that we're able to worship anywhere in the world today. We don't have to go up to Jerusalem. Jesus explains this. Verse 21, Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews." Yet a time is coming and now has come that the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Thank God that now we don't have to make a pilgrimage. I I love going to Israel. I love going to Jerusalem. We're going there this year. It's amazing. But thank God we don't have to go there in order to worship God. We're able to do this right here. Right? And connect with God right here. And His Spirit is here and He empowers us here. That is amazing. I think we take that for granted, by the way. Because back in this day, they, were, they had to go up to Jerusalem to worship. They had to bring sacrifices with them. This was not an easy process where you can just, alone in your bedroom at night, oh, Lord, I love you. You know, okay? Verse 25, the woman said, so she's starting to watch this. She's starting to put some things together. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus Then Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. What a privileged person this was for, for Jesus himself to declare, I am he. Can you imagine? I don't think it, it's, it's, it would be difficult to overstate how profound This is that Jesus is choosing this time and this place to reveal himself to this woman. Up to this point, only really the disciples had known that Jesus was the Messiah. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. And Jesus had not yet publicly declared his Messiahship, that he is the Messiah. This is the first person that Jesus declared this to. And you would think, okay, you're in Jerusalem, or you're in, uh, you're in Israel. You would think you would go up to Jerusalem. You would find the religious leaders of the day, the ones that are esteemed and high, and you would unpack the scriptures and reveal how you are the Messiah. Jesus didn't do any of that, did he? Jesus kind of flipped the script here. And I love this, because this is the Lord we serve. He goes to uh, uh, the Samaritan town. He goes to the Samaritans, who were outcasts from the Jews at that point for the first person to reveal himself to. It was a woman, which they didn't often interact with women in general. In fact, the religious elites at that time were were quite uh, chauvinistic, and oftentimes wouldn't even acknowledge women, didn't talk to them. It was a very chauvinist um, culture at that time. And not only a, a Samaritan who was a woman, but a Samaritan woman who was steeped in sexual sin at the time. And this is who Jesus says... I'm he, I'm the Messiah, and I offer you living water to drink. Thank God, I, this is God, this is the Lord we serve. That he would come to this place, this, this, to this lowly woman, to reveal himself. He was, and he picked her to do this, it's amazing. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. <laughs> okay, so that tells you right there, this isn't normal. They were surprised if I'm talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And the disciples, they're not getting it. Verse 33, the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Okay, he's using metaphors here. Verse 34, Jesus says this, my food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And at that very moment, Jesus was doing the will of God by ministering to this Samaritan woman, by meeting her in this divine appointment. I read all of that scripture to give you context to verse 34. Let me read this for you in the New Living Translation. Jesus said this, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Jesus says, I'm nourished, I'm satisfied, I'm sustained, I'm refreshed, I'm invigorated. Remember, Jesus was tired along this journey. He says, I'm refreshed, I'm satisfied, by doing my father's work. So this was an invigorating, life-giving experience for the mortal body of Jesus. Okay? Um, by, by ministering to this daughter of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. By walking in God's will for his life. Church, let me ask you a question. Do you want to be nourished? Do you want to be satisfied? Do you want to be energized? Do you want to be refreshed? Okay, (laughs) there is a plan of God for you to walk in. And when you walk in that will of him for your life, it will bring satisfaction to your soul. It will bring satisfaction to your body. And this is available to each and every one of us every single day, to walk in God's perfect plan for our lives. There is something gratifying. There is something fulfilling about knowing you're in God's will. And I said this on the front end. This is why I'm not burned out, because I'm doing God's will for my life. And Now, rest is important. There's other things that are important. But I'm doing what God has called me to do. What I want to say to you this morning, this isn't just a story that we're reading about how amazing Jesus was. This is an invitation for you and I. This is an invitation to be satisfied with the Father's approval over us. Now, we're not, we're not um, approved by our works, but there is a satisfaction that comes from walking In God's will for us. There's something satisfying about walking in step with the Holy Spirit and allowing him to flow through you. There's nothing like it in the world, allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through you, okay? Um, You've all been in this situation, but that feeling you get when you've been working hard all day and you're just like famished, you're super hungry, you want to eat something, and you eat, just you sit down and you eat this amazing meal, and you feel your blood sugar rise, and you kind of get sleepy, and it's just the most satisfying feeling. You know what I'm talking about? I like food. How many like food up in here? I love to eat. I love carbs. I'm, I'm, I, I love all that stuff, man. Um, currently, I'm, uh, you know, it's getting into the summer season. I'm a runner. And I'm trying to just kind of optimize, get a little faster for some races, maybe just trim up a little bit more. So I'm trying to limit some of the carbohydrates in my life. And I'm not a big sweets person. Like I can have it or not have it. I can choose not to eat dessert. I'm not a big, I don't drink a lot of sweet drinks and that kind of stuff, but I love carbs. I love bread. I love pasta. I love all that stuff. So right when I decide, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to I'm going to pull back the carbohydrates just a little bit, trying to trim up just a little more. Right at that exact same time, my wife decides to take up a new hobby. Do you want to know what this hobby is? <laughs> no, close. She has been baking freshly baked, homemade, from scratch, sourdough bread. And I love sourdough bread. It's so good. Man, when you get a slice of that warm sourdough bread put butter all over it. I have a picture of of the, this is what she makes. You guys, come on. I could eat that whole thing. No, no problem. But I've had to limit myself to one slice. I think she's trying to sabotage me. This is actually an intervention to get her to stop making delicious food. Okay. (laughs) But here's my point. Walking in the will of God for your life is satisfying to your whole being. It's satisfying to your body. It's satisfying to your soul. When you find the lane that you're supposed to be in and you're fulfilling God's uh, will for your life, it's like being super hungry and eating a nourishing meal. Jesus said, My nourishment comes from doing the will of the Father who sent me. Amen? God wants us to be kingdom conduits. He wants to flow through us. Man, Christianity should not be boring. Christianity should be the most... Amazing thing you and I ever do with our our whole lives. If you're not enjoying this, you're doing something wrong. If you're not excited about this, you're doing something wrong. Um, Let me give an example of um, just God flowing through us. Um, I use this illustration all the time. Um, I say this in the belong class often, but how many have ever been to Israel and have been to the Dead Sea? Anyone up in here? Okay. The Dead Sea, it's the lowest place on earth. It's one of the saltiest bodies of water on earth. And um, the reason that is, is because there are rivers that flow in, primarily the Jordan River, flows into the Dead Sea, um, but nothing flows out of the Dead Sea. So it's really hot there. The water evaporates and and the minerals, uh, the salt is left behind. We have a picture of the Dead Sea. They're walking on salt and that salt is not being absorbed into the water because the water can't even hold more salt. It's reached its limit and then it piles up. I say this to say um, nothing lives there. There's no fish in the water. It's too salty. There's no plants there. There's, it's too salty. That's why they call it the Dead Sea. Okay? Um, but I use this as an illustration because this is what the Christian life can become like when we're receiving good things. We've got rivers of life flowing in through us. We've got good worship. We've got good teaching. We're always receiving. We're taking. We're taking. But listen, if there's not an outflow from your life, You can become, like the Dead Sea, a stagnant pool where nothing lives. This is the condition of many believers because they're receiving things, but they don't have any outflow. There's no outpouring from your life. I want you to feel the exhilaration and the life of God in your life, and I'm telling you, don't be like the Dead Sea. Allow God to flow through you and to pour out of you. If you want to live, you have to give. Let's all say that together. If you want to live... You've got to give. Okay. Jesus said this, John, we already read this verse, John 4, 13. He said this to the the Samaritan woman. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water. Notice he says it's a spring of water. He didn't say a reservoir of water. Okay, why? Because it's supposed to flow through us. That's not supposed to just be stored up in here for my blessed assurance and for me, myself, and I, and nobody else, right? He's pouring through you, not just for you. He's pouring through you for other people. And if you want more, give something away, amen? God didn't give you a drink so that you could become a reservoir. He, he gave you a drink so that you could become a conduit. And I'll conclude, I'll begin wrapping up, but I'll conclude with this. Um, How many have ever been in and experienced a divine appointment? You knew from the Lord, like, right time, right place, doing the right thing, right? Anyone? I love divine appointments. I love it when God just sets things up and orchestrates things in such a way where he's just moving. Um, I'll give you an example of, uh, in my own life, it's not my best example, it's just one of my most recent examples. Um, The other day I was running at the park, as I often do, and there's many people at the park walking and different things, and I just felt the Lord highlighting a particular lady, a particular person. And I'm like, you know, running and kind of like, okay, God, what are you saying to her? And here's how I knew the Lord was highlighting her. I felt the compassion of the Lord for this lady. And many times that's a way to recognize if God is thinking something and wants to say something to someone, do you just have a sense of compassion for that person? That can be the Lord sensitizing your heart for them. So I feel the compassion of the Lord for her. And I'm like, okay, God, what do you, do you want me to say something to her? What what are you saying? And this is what I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me. I felt like he said, I see her, my eyes are upon her. Like I'm, I'm, I'm attentive. I see her, I'm paying attention to her. And so I get done with my run and, you know, I'm kind of a sweaty mess. And, uh, which it's kind of awkward when you walk up to someone, but this is what I said. Hey, I know this might sound kind of, might, might sound kind of strange, but, I was just running today and I just had this sense, and I felt like I was supposed to tell you that um, I felt like I had a word from, from God for you. And I felt like He said, He sees you, His eyes are upon you, He knows what you're going through. And I just felt like He wanted me to tell you that. And this is the moment in the conversation where it can either get good or end. You know, some people are like, okay, thanks, weirdo. You know, you have to be willing to do that, by the way. <laughs> okay, you have to be willing to be rejected. So get over it. Um, so at that time, she just looks at me, and she starts crying, and she said, I got fired from my job today, and I've never been fired from any job, and I don't know what I'm going to do. She's just totally distraught, totally in a dark and a low point, and I just said, well, I want you to know God sees you. He loves you. He's going to get you through this. He sees what you're going through. You need to obviously hear this today, and that was really it. I said, I'll be praying for you. I didn't want to pray for her there because... Sweaty guy at the park, laying hands or whatever, you know. So I, I left and prayed for her as well. Here's the thing. I, I hope, cool for her, I hope. I hope that was a good experience for her. Um, but what did I experience? I also, I know that I felt the satisfaction of being a conduit for God to flow through. I felt that myself. Remember the woman with the issue of blood in the Bible? She comes up and touches the hem of the garment, Jesus's garment, and Jesus is just walking along, not paying attention, and he feels virtue. He felt power flow from him, and he stops and is like, "Who touched me?" And the disciples are like, "Everyone. Like we're in a crowded space. Like we're all touching." He's like, "No, someone touched me with intent, and I felt." Jesus didn't even pray for this person. It just power flowed from him because there was a there was a demand, there was a draw in heaven. Listen. But that feeling that Jesus sensed of being a conduit of heaven, that feeling, that that life-giving experience is available for you and I when we will yield to the Holy Spirit and allow him to flow through us. I want to tell you another story about being on the flip side of that, on the other end of, of that spectrum. Uh, for those of you who don't know us, most of you probably know this, but... Uh, We have two daughters, and one of our daughters is special needs. She's um, 14, and Trinity is her name. We love her. She's amazing. She makes us laugh. We have a great life. But sometimes it can be very challenging having a special needs kiddo, if you didn't know. Uh, I'll give you one one example of a a unique time in our life. Um, Recently, my younger daughter had, had just turned 12, and we had a birthday party for her. And we went to P.F. Chang's with a few of her friends. And we're sitting there at P.F. Chang's. And when it's your birthday and you get dessert, they ask, like, do you want us to bring the sparkly fountain? It's a sparkler, like, on a thing. Do you want us to bring that out? And we're like, yeah, that that, that sounds great. Why don't you bring that out? Um, Which was a terrible idea. And here's why. Um, Because autistic people can be triggered and, like, freak out. And so they bring this sparkle her thing out and it comes around the corner and my older daughter flips out. She's just like, Mosh they're screaming. I she gets up. I try to I try to grab her before she gets away. I can't. Emily tries to grab her and, and forces her way away from Emily. you Guys, it was a scene. We were in this restaurant and I'm not telling you this by the way to feel sorry for us. We have an amazing life. I'm just telling you to you know, things can be hard at times. Um she she gets away from us. She's running through the restaurant screaming and starts hitting people hitting strangers old ladies like this is a it's a show i not the kind of show you want to go to okay people are coming out of the kitchen the whole restaurant's looking not something you ever want to have happen okay this is what happens in our life sometimes um <clears throat> recently um something similar happened um we, uh, at our running group, on Wednesdays, we run, and then we go eat afterwards. But Emily and I usually drive separately, because I usually do a longer warm-up and a longer cool-down. And so I always tell her, like, hey, can you order this food for me? I'll be there in a few minutes when I'm done. And so I get done with my cool-down. I drive over to the restaurant where everyone's hanging out. And I get there, and I was like, where's Emily? You know, like, Emily's not here. Trinity's not here. Evie was Evie was there. And they're like, oh, yeah, um, Emily left because Trinity was having a hard time, and she kind of freaked out about something. And I found out, because I called Emily, like, where are you, our our autistic daughter? I don't know what triggered her, but she threw her cup of water at my wife's head and then threw her food. And listen, you might think, parenting someone who's special needs... I. There are things as a father; it's intuitive. Like you know how to parent. You just have instincts. You know what to do. When you have a special needs kiddo, all those like intuitive things, it's like they don't work. You know what I mean? Um, I can be a firm parent, and I can you know scare my kids if I need to. But um, it's not intuitive oftentimes to parent special needs kiddos. So Emily's like, "I just left. I'm not coming back. I'm just going home. I feel terrible, you know." And she just left. <clears throat> And I was like, okay, well, I'll hang out with these people and eat, and then I'll be home in a little bit. In that moment, at that time, at that restaurant, I'm kind of in a low place because life was pretty tough in that moment. Um, I'm getting ready to leave, and um, Pastor Darren and Lynette Glaghorn, their son walks up to me. I didn't know it was their son. He's like, hey, are you the pastor of City Lights Church? And I go, yeah, I am. He's like, I feel like I have a word for you. I'm oh like, this is probably a good time for a word. <laughs> and he's like, I just want to encourage you, like, God has ordained City Lights Church. He has amazing plans for your church. I just felt like he wanted me to tell you this today and that he's, or, he's guiding you. He's ordering your steps and just be encouraged. You're doing amazing things in this. city. he just really encourages me and, and gives me this, like, prophetic word for our church at that moment in that restaurant when things were pretty bad. So right then and there, I needed, it was a good time for an encouraging word that I needed. But you know what I think is interesting about this? I needed it. It was encouraging for me. But I bet the Gordon son also felt the satisfaction of the Lord by stepping out and being a conduit for God to minister to someone. He stepped out and he took a risk. And I guarantee he felt the life of God and the flow of God in his life. Here's the deal. Each one of us has food to eat which is the satisfaction of walking in God's plan for our lives. He has work for us to do. Jesus said, it is my food to do the will of the Father. And this is the application I want to give you today. I want you to feel this life-flowing gift of God flowing in you. This week, I want to encourage you. Feast on what the Lord has for you by just operating and stepping out in his will for you. If you don't know what to do or say to people, start with the micro. It will lead to the macro. But you are called to be a kingdom conduit. You were made to walk in his will. You were made to be for him to flow through you. Amen. All right. Why don't you guys stand to your feet? I'm going to pray for you. And then we'll close up shop here. Why don't we have the ministry team if you'd come down in front and uh, just get ready. Um, Harmony had mentioned a word. If you're struggling with thoughts of um, suicide, make sure to connect with one of these ministry team members at the end of the service, or I guess specifically Harmony, if that's you. Um, And I prayed this in the last service. I felt that maybe there were people here struggling with depression. As you do this as an activation, as you allow God to flow through you, it's going to be a life-giving experience for you. And sometimes I think we can get so in our own heads, but but I think the step of looking at others and getting outside of that will be a, a healthy exercise for you. So I want to encourage you to do that. I want to pray, and then we'll we'll dismiss you guys. Father, we love you. We thank you for today. Thank you for every individual in this house, Lord. We thank you for the plan, the purpose, the destiny you have for us, Lord. I pray that you would help us to take risks, to walk in your will, Lord. Would you lead us, Lord, in ways everlasting? And I just pray this over this church. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. amen.